Welcome to Kachika, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes at the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts. Kachika is a production of Ringplay Productions. In this episode, we are pleased to welcome Tex Turnquest. Some people might know him from Lands and Surveys, where he was director of Lands and Surveys for some time. But other people who have been around the Dundas long enough will know that he is a singer, a dancer, an actor, and an all-round cultural enthusiast, super passionate about the Bahamas and super passionate about the island from which he comes, Long Island. Welcome, Tex. Thank you, Nico. Thank you. So, Tex, let's start with early years. What was your educational background when you were growing up? I born and grew up in Long Island, mm-hmm. uh, NGM Major High School, throughout my scholastic career. He is my granduncle and also headmaster. In the late 60s, Jerome Cartwright and R.S. Wells and Sue Wells. And when Jerome and those came, they introduced me to drama. From the time I knew myself, NGM Major had me in the choir. Then during the Christmas, my aunt Mary and my mother, they used to make sure I take part in a program at the, at the Baptist Church. Hence my uh, introduction to drama and, and culture generally. They were doing like Christmas plays and stuff uh, in, in that time then? Yes, they were. And Jerome, he wrote uh, just about all of the plays. They, they wrote the skits into plays and we performed them. For people who may not know, Jerome Cartwright is a poet, playwright, novelist. People who meet him might not know because Jerome don't talk much, but he is extremely prolific. I didn't know he was actually teaching. I know he used to write and stuff like that, but yeah. Okay. So what year did you come to Nassau? I came to Nassau in 1972. I didn't want to come. I hated Nassau when I came. I I wanted to go back, but there were no opportunities. So there's, there's no future for my interests, you know, which is art and architecture. Did you do any school in Nassau before you went off to school? How did that work? The only way I could have come is before I leave Long Island, I had a job. And so I accepted to go into teaching. So I was at teacher's college, lasted for three months. I didn't like it, so I, I walked away. I was temporarily employed at, at the bank. I was moving up there, but I hated that. I, I, I just wanted to pursue a career in drawing architecture or something like that. And I was introduced to lands and surveys where they had positions as draftsman and cartographer. I accepted that. In spite of people persuading me not to leave the bank, I said, the hell with that. My passion and my heart led me to do this, and that's where I'm going. So I went there, and I attended day release courses at C.R. Walker to do surveying and technical drawing. And after that, I, I got a scholarship to go to Nova Scotia Land Survey Institute in Canada. I did property management there, and they recommended that I should continue at ITC which is a technical institute in Holland. And the government supported it. I went there and I did cartography. Then I came back and I got frustrated after about three or four years because it wasn't going anywhere. And I changed profession. I went into valuation, which we people call known, known here as, as appraisal, and uh, got a scholarship again and uh, went to London to study that. I took ill and couldn't last, so I came back. The director urged uh, Vincent to encourage me to pick up the pieces and, and go back. And so I went back in 84 to study estate management, specializing in valuation. Another word for that is, is appraisal. I know you went back to do these particular things, but I want to also touch on the fact that 
at some point in time before that, what was the thing that got you like to the Dundas or, or to being involved in, in, in performing? The passion um, that I had for drama and singing continued with me when I moved to Nassau in 1972. I just wanted to find um, some place where I can go to continue it. And I drove past the Dundas and Marquis Street uh, and I saw the doors open and cars there. So I pulled in, <laughs> introduced myself. There was a drama circle. They were doing a play at a time, uh, rehearsing for a play at a time. I think the play was Moon on a Rainbow Show mm -hmm. um, in 1972. Oh. Uh, they took me on as a stage crew and that's where I started. Uh, the following year, I wanted to make connection with singing. I met Clement Bethel and he welcomed me in. And uh, that's when I started with, with the Renaissance Singers. When I came home in 81 and I drove into the Dundas, I had been on the Dundas stage before that, but I mean, when I came home then, you were working on the first play that I got involved with after school, which was the gin game. Yes. And I think you were working yes. again as the stage manager. That was my sort of introduction to you as being involved in theater. You were stage manager yeah. of that show, right? That's right. And but from from nineteen from nineteen seventy three seventy three um, throughout every every show that I could get in <laughs> at the Dundas, I was there. I was a stage manager, a prop assistant, um, sound. Um, I just wanted to. I just wanted to be there. It was it was in my blood, and I, <laughs> I that was my life. Right. What was the play that that got you on stage acting at the Dundas? They went that away. Okay. I think that was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was in 74. And then A Scent of Flowers. These were all Drama Circle productions, um, right? Yeah. That one's um, remained with me forever because I used to be in and out of hospitals regularly throughout the 70s. And uh, I took second stage with the um, A Scent of Flowers. They were calling me to, to come off because they saw I couldn't make it, but I I, I, I did it. I went into break. Vable Thompson came backstage, and I don't know what he did, I, um, in addition to giving me an injection. Mm. That knocked me out. They woke me up to go go my lines again. I went back on stage. Every time I came back, he was there treating me. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you see, because was, this, is the second, this is the second person who brought this up because I think Tony Delaney mentioned in his episode that Santa Flowers was yes. one of his first plays at the theater. And yeah. Jeannie was the director, right? That's right. That one I'll remember forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what? Another one I remember, uh, remember forever, I think, is in 75, we did Shoes for the, you remember the festival they used to have? The drama festival? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did shoes with him, um, Vincent Ritchie and Wallace, Wallace Island. He called him Rufus. After that, he took it to Eleuthera. We were on stage, myself, Vince, and um, uh, Rufus. And a part of the scene was where Rufus pulled a gun on me and threatened to shoot me. I know Rufus, he's from Eleuthera. So the people up in Eleuthera know him. And when he pulled the gun and said, I bet I shoot you, uh, somebody in the audience shout out, shoot his ass, shoot his ass. <laughs> I, I think I, I bit every, all my lip and my tongue trying to try not to, not to laugh. <laughs> when you mentioned about going to school and you said that Winston had 
you know, persuaded you to go or whatever. So that would have meant that you had already made contact with him. And between he and Jeannie, they were two of the people who directed a lot of the drama circle productions at that time. In those days, I don't know, remember Norman, Norman yes, Berry? Yes, I do. You know, he's, how he's a director and block plays, you know. I would love to see, see one of those um, um, scripts he had with all the lines crisscrossing as to where he's supposed to go and you stop right. and you turn as well, you know. Well, for the people who don't know, one of the <laughs> things that Norman Berry was was a critic. And he used to write critiques for the newspaper because I, I remember him writing one on one of the shows I was in or directed. But Norman was infamous for directing his plays from home which means he would sit down at home and he would map out in his script every move an actor made, every turn they had. It was as if he was blocking for television. And so the actor had no input in how they were going to turn and how they were going to do anything because Norman had figured that out from the beginning. So he was a very, very technical kind of person. It must have been difficult for actors who sort of had that flair of just finding things and doing stuff and and he was like no 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 you move three steps here and turn and then you move over here and you speak you know for me that's all i knew so it was not until winston and and yourself came on and that gave gave you freedom and latitude to to be more flexible that was a new day <laughs> for me you're listening to kachika a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the dundas center for the performing arts after the drama cycle, um, I and I got into the Renaissance Singers, then it came the Chamber Singers. And after the Chamber Singers, I knew where I wanted to be when it comes to right. singing. Right, now, I was in Chamber Singers before, and I left Nassau in 78. So that was the point when you and Casey and Dwayne and Garland all became members of the Chamber Singers. For that me, was just before that Perry Como special, right? That's right. Um, for me, that was in 1979. Right. We rehearsed for something different at Paradise Island. Me and Pat Bazaar, we did a little cameo as an introduction to the show. And then I went on stage and we were singing. And man, I got, I got hooked in there with, the, with that type of singing, right. you know. And it was all over when Clem and Bethel put the, the a group together for, for Cara Okay, Festa. well, let's just talk about that because a lot of people don't know this. In 1981, when the Bahamas was preparing to go to Cara Festa for Barbados, Clement had put together two groups, and they were two separate choirs, an all-male choir, all-female choir. And they would rehearse in Johnson Road around the piano right in the front room. And at the beginning there must have been about 12 to 15 Dicey Doe men. Yes. So there was a huge group. I was not a part of it then. I was stage manager for the, for the production. Okay. But um, when I heard those guys singing, man, I knew I had to be a part of it. So every, every opportunity we got um, off stage, I used to pull those guys together. I said, man, you got to sing something. So we sing, we sing Death or, or Boons or... Some of some a song, whatever they come up with, I got hooked onto it. And uh, so, even during a, the festival down in Barbados, when they had those guys at the free time, I was a pull them in the corner man to teach me some songs. <laughs> you had people in that choir Cleophus was a member, Patrick Delaney, Barry Newbold, right. all of these people were members of the Dicey Doe band. 
And um, then you had Maud Lockhart and Pat Bazard and Joan and all those people were members of the Daisido female. And after a while, of course, the Daisido females petered out. And then the Daisido men cut down quite considerably to about six or eight men at that time. That's right. When we came back from Barbados, I made sure that I was part of the Daisido singers then. And so we performed um, as a combined group downtown during the Gumbe Festival and a number of other places. People went their separate ways gradually, but a core male chorus remained. And we, every Sunday, religiously, we would rehearse. And um, in between, I went off to school, but certainly when I came back, it was every Sunday by my house or by Ken house. And we ended up like brothers. Um, it doesn't matter if, if nobody in the audience, as long as we sing and we join right. ourselves, that was it. That was what? Ken, Casey, Dwayne, Garland, Eddie, you, and who else? Patrick Delaney. And, okay. But it yeah. was, that was about it, right? That was about six, was six or seven guys. That's right. And, and, that's and right. then he gradually down to five. That's right. And that's where we are today. Tell us about Barcelona. We went to, to the, that international festival. I forgot the name of it now. Mm-hmm. We, we went over there. Vincent had us over there for two weeks. We performed at the tourism pavilion twice, sometimes three times a day. People caught on and they liked it so much. Uh, wherever we went through the village, they would just call us to come in their restaurant, give us free drinks, free eats, as long as we sing. <laughs> um, we had a following man. That was that was something else. <laughs> they did some recording of us uh, over there as well. But when it came to signing contracts for release, they we didn't we wasn't happy with the with the wording of it, and so that petered out. Right from that Barcelona trip, because that was a part of the quincentennial thing. The next thing would have been for you and that whole group would have been Scotland. Yes. And um, that's when I had to learn how to, to, to hit a drum somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, that was, a, that was a, another experience um, um, that, you know, I can never forget. You know, um, there, was, there was singing and dancing and um, uh, parading through the streets. And well, I mean, it was awesome. If you only learned the drum at that particular time, then that was incredible because you and Eddie, when we had to do that march, you guys were the drummers for the entire group of Bahamians who had to <laughs> do the opening kind of thing and march for for a couple of miles. Can I interrupt and talk a little bit about this yes, march? Yes, go ahead. So we arrive in Edinburgh. We have traveled for hours because you got to fly to London first and then you have to get to Edinburgh. So we've traveled for hours and we've settled in and whatever. And we've had the first bad experience with food. Yes. The first (laughs) night. And anyway, we all settling down and we figure we can get over our jet lag and whatever. And the next thing I know, people are walking into our places of residence saying, get up. It's like eight o'clock in the morning. Get up, get dressed. We have to go to Holyrood. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know what Holyrood is. I don't know what we're doing, but time to sleep and this is the march that philip is talking about nobody had any previous information about this so-called march but the entire contingent had to go to holyrood which is a park in edinburgh and i I, i'm still hazy on why it was but i believe it might have been the opening ceremony is that right yes it was something like that it was a it was a major opening because we had to go along a very long road 
when we reached certain points, I kept turning to Tex and Eddie and going, okay, uphill beat now. And then we would just go and they would change yes, the Yes, because there were mountains in this, in this exactly. market. You to walk up mountains <laughs> and things. That's right. At this point in time, you're acting because you are also in You Can Lead a Horse to Water. Yes. Uh, some of those songs uh, remain with me to the day. I mean, Can a Mother's Tender Care? Yeah. <laughs> and you all introduced that. That was all over for me. I was more helping out with the backstage as well during Edinburgh Festival. But you we, really we, want to take that on, Tex? You really want just, to take that on? <laughs> <laughs> we were just you know, all up, man. That was good. That was good. <laughs> you mean helping uh, Casey and everybody set up the platforms wrong for that particular night? <laughs> that disastrous night? That kick-up-filled <laughs> night? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's because we couldn't sleep, you know. <laughs> uh, it was oh, good. It was you always in the bar too much. <laughs> well, I was going to bring that one up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why we couldn't sleep. Yes, <laughs> led by led by Romy Ferrer. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. yeah, you come back, but you're in a few plays because I do remember this one play that Patrick Ramming wrote that you. Tony Delaney, Patrick Ramming, and Winston Saunders were in. Oh, Mr. Speaker. Exactly. And yeah. you played you played the young Winston and Tony played the young Pat. Am I correct? That's right. That's right. right. So That's it was right. about these two um, politicians, op- opposition leader and uh, prime minister, who are living in an old folks' home. <laughs> yes. So with a flashback to when they were in those positions and you and Tony are are playing those younger roles and Winston and Pat are playing those roles. But that was an actual, you know, that was a dramatic performance for you. One of the other performances that didn't happen, and a lot of people don't know this, but you, Anthony Delaney and myself were scheduled to do Sisby Banzi is Dead. Oh, yes. And we were about to start rehearsals for that play because we were going to do it with three actors as opposed to the two. So the character of Styles and Buntu were going to be two different people. And then I got a call to go and do a show in New York. So I left and that production didn't happen. I I was trying to recall what brought that to an end. Now I know. Yeah, that's what it was. I was. We were just. We were getting ready. We had gone through the script and everything. Winston was going to direct it, and we were getting ready to do it. And um, one Saturday morning, I got a call from one of my former teachers asking me to come to New York to do a play, to take over a role for another actor. So that that was pretty much what put paid to that. (laughs) The role that you reveled in. And I remember it for a number of reasons is because, first of all, I came to the theater and I said, I've chosen the music for this play. And I started to play it and you went kind of crazy. And the music was, of course, The Real Bahamas with Joseph Spence and Freddie McQueen and Louise Spence. And the play, of course, was I, Nehemiah. The first one was 1989 for me. Did you do all three or did you do two? I did two. The first one was actually um, Ed Fields. And then you That's came right. in and um, I just remember you and the, and the music. You're listening to Kachika, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts. 
I skipped over one thing and I want to get to that because that was also something when you guys uh, had come back from both um, Edinburgh and um, Barcelona, but it was Washington. Yes, 94. That was another excellent um, show. What really caught me was, you know, all the skills that was brought together. Um, drama, singing, boat building, um, bush medicine, reconscape, um, quadrille. I mean, the whole thing, man. Well, one of the things that happened for us, which was good for us, for me, Nico, and a lot of other people, was the introduction to your uncle. Oh, yes, Okalanda, yeah. <laughs> and um, the one-hand drum. I remember this very well because... Uh, Kayla, Pat, and myself, we, one evening we were in um, Long Island and we were looking for people and we ended up at the church in Clarencetown. The group uh, from the north had come all the way south to sing. What, the guy who was the one, the preachers who we took, who was a singer. Then there was mm -hmm. this group that was performing and by, at that time they were called Thomas and the Boys. And your uncle the first time I'd met him, who is Orlando Turnquest. And we were so fascinated at the way he played this. It was a it was a kind of a drum. It was kind of a tambourine, but it was this thing that he yeah, did. Yeah, he right. calls it a hand drum. It's the same size as a, as a tenor um, gombe drum, but it, it like a tambourine, only, only big. Yeah. And he could get the same beat out of it that you could get out of a, a regular gombe drum with one hand. That was the thing that got me. <laughs> yes. People who would look back on that and see, I mean, outside of what Nico and those were doing on the Junkanoo stage and Pat and Kayla were doing on the gospel stage, I know that my stage, the contemporary music stage, where the quadrille, two sets of rake and scrape bands, and of course we had Tony McKay. That was quite an experience. And you guys appeared on the Today Show. Yes, we did. You guys had to get up at some ungodly hour because you had to be at four o'clock, right? <laughs> you had to be on the mall. Willard Scott was the weatherman. That show started like at five o'clock. That's right. We had to get up at four, get ready to get over there. The song that stuck with him was You Ain't Hurrying Me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so you guys you guys were on the Today Show because I, I know that there's a section when Adrian Archer did the documentary uh, that he worked on for tourism. Yes. That was one of the big featured sections of that, that you guys um, singing You Ain't Hurry and Me on the mall and Willard Scott trying to do a little dance, which was That's quite right. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, um, um, Philip, you skipped over Disney things. Were you in all three Disney things? Two. two. You were in, the, you were in two, two where you and Greg were the leads, and then one with Calvin Lockhart, right? Yes, and Tex yes. and Greg yes. wrote the second one. You know, um, uh, Nico, I think, I'm sure I've said it to you before, the, the latitude um, you, Vincent, and, and Philip gave, gave me on that one really made it because, you know, I sort of brought my own style, my own thinking into it, and um, uh, you'll clip the edges to make sure that the thing wasn't lost. That's it. That added to it. That really did it for me. Once I had that latitude, I can move. It just flowed. When I close my eyes and start preaching, you know, it just it just comes. <laughs> <laughs> then you got kind of typecast as a preacher because I remember giving you that role in Bahamian Rhapsody that we took to the Apollo Theater. That's right. You gave the skeleton and I fleshed it out. 
and I made it my own and it, it worked. I, I, can, I can really perform like that, you know. There are some actors that you can just say, this is the direction in which we would like to go. Winston gave Greg a lot of leeway in Nehemiah. Nico and Winston gave you guys a lot of leeway in This Week Things too to just, you That's know, true. run with it and know who the characters were and then develop what was going to happen beyond that. That was quite something. It works best for me like that way. And in, in I, Nehemiah, um, the second time in 98, I was very comfortable with that. And, you know, after that show, I felt that the Dundas family was coming to an end. And I cried like a baby at the end of that show. Mm. You, Sammy, David, and Cookie in that bar. That's was right. That's an right. incredible team. Um, working those scenes I, I, outside of the ones that took place in the center with Jane and Elaine one year and Gina one year. But you guys over yes. in that bar were quite a unit that was just so well put together and so well done. There was no way that anybody could drop a line there. There was no dropping of a line, but I think probably one of my favorite moments in Nehemiah was talking about death, talking about death. And when I die, you better bury me. God's sake, don't burn me. Oh, yeah. Because I mightn't be dead. <laughs> that was great. That was you. That, that was me. That was you in the bar. Yeah, that was you. That was you in the bar. Oh, that, that was awesome. And, and you're quite right. We knew, we knew each other so well. Um, um, nobody could have dropped a line, you know. And what I think what, what contributed to my pain after was that Vincent said that this is it. It will never be performed again. Mm. Oh, Lord. And, oh, man, <laughs> yes. you know. Those were the difficult years. Those were difficult years. We had some challenges. When I did the the sermon over Greg in the in the coffin, well, he wasn't in the coffin, but you know, you know, yeah. Um, those lines just flowed and walk off stage. Me and Sammy walking off stage with that with that coffin, and, and the tears just dropping down. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Two of you. That was something. <laughs> you took a break for a little while because you hadn't done anything for for some time. Tex was raising his daughter, child. Yeah, you were still doing a lot of singing. Dicey, there was constant. And then one of the things that I specifically remember was you coming to me. It was the year of Hurricane Matthew. And you came to me and you said, Philip, I, I, I want you to put something together for us. We need to do something, man. We want to do a show. We want to do something. That show became Fence. Fence inspired, that's right. After 98, I slacked off. But every two or three years, I had to find my way back on stage. Uh, but we continued with, with the Daiso Singers. For years, the Daiso Singers, we were talking about doing a show. But we just loved performing. Nobody wanted to uh, be organizing anything. The ball just been continued to uh, be kicked down the road. And that's when I, I came to you, man. I said, I'm, um, I wanted to do something. And of course, you know, to your credit, you were the one who conceptualized it much better than us. Mm. Gave the, the theme... And we run with it. Yeah, we just like to perform, but we leave up, leave the organizing and everything else up to to others. Um, and that was our, that was that's always been our weakness in that um, um, we never wanted to to organize anything or or cut any records. We just wanted to perform. You know, the thing about that was you also had some some incredible guest artists because you had mm. Fred Ferguson come in. Apparently, every time you turn on cable, they're playing that show because they recorded it. And yes. It's, 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 it's a very popular uh, sort of thing. But it, that was something that you guys 
you know, you guys did that because as soon as when Fred got there and he started to riff on the Spence stuff that he plays and then Sammy started to do his thing, you know, that was it was quite a, a fun evening. And even though the hurricane came, you guys did it after the hurricane left and moved it out of the black box into the main uh, theater. Spence inspired, you know, that wasn't going no place unless we had Fred and certainly Sammy had to be there. Right. Once they became part of it, you know, the energy just flowed. We just performed, man. The black box, it was the ideal location for it because, you know, you had, had the audience close to us. Right. Oh, man, we could do that every night. <laughs> um, if you didn't drop the hint that, listen, we're running over our time, we probably have been just still performing. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the uh, most recent thing that you've done is Carmen's father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, again, Philip, there was a script and, you know, you had to follow follow it strictly. But the the scene where, where I got in that fight, you gave me some leverage. Right. And uh, I, I needed that. I needed that. And, and of course, once I, once I had it, you know, I was fine. But I tell you, I enjoy musicals, particularly if it's Bahamian folklore. But I never thought I would see the day when... I was going to sing and act on stage, and you got me to do that. I said, Lord, what what the hell is this I got myself (laughs) into? When you do Bahamian stuff, man, if I'm available, I have to be a part of it. I just just love it, you know. So, yes, it may be a musical show, but I don't mind that. But I must say that this last one, uh, as Carmen Daddy, uh, you had me on stage alone singing, um, and... And that that was that's a that was rare. Being calling it common daddy, but this is the real thing. Musical the text. Yeah, yeah. The text was the father and te- the one with the shotgun. Um, if you're old enough to do this to Minelli, you're old enough to marry she. So um, Dicey Doe continues, and uh, you know every once in a while, have you guys done any performing recently? Not not since COVID. Um, we had we had planned. Um, well, we started to plan something for this year, but it was knocked out by COVID. As soon as we can, we will get together at some one of one of the uh, members' house to, to just just sing. You know, yeah, we, we miss it so much. Like I'm, I'm sure we all wait. You know, I, 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 I seem to close every episode by saying we all look forward to this thing ending, and so we can all get back on stage. It was great to be able to watch um, the real thing when it aired on cable and remember that um, production and the other productions that aired. But, you know, there's nothing like the live space. There's nothing like the camaraderie. It's nothing like, you know, being there and going through the rehearsals and and um, hanging out with those people. And, you know, it's changed over the years because I remember those nights in the dressing room when, uh, back in the day of Nehemiah, where you know we used to stay there until one and two o'clock in the morning, yeah, just talking, singing, yeah. and singing, that's right. and singing, that's right. exactly, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, you know, it, it goes. It's different with different people, but it's still, you know, that group of people. And I think you know, theater artists are really missing uh, being involved in in a production in any kind of way, just just to be able to to do stuff, especially people who work like during Shakespeare in Paradise, you know, we've had people send messages saying, you know, can we even do like just a sing-along over the internet or something like that? 
you know, so it's it's really been difficult, but um, hopefully you know, we'll be back. You we'll know, be back to it soon. You know, Philip, I I told um, um Ken the nice those things. I said, listen, it's gonna get to the point whereby we can have to build some boxes out of plexiglass and put them all together, so we uh, each of us go on each 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 of us go in a box and sing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Let me say this before I forget, Philip, and that is that you know, once I was introduced to you and uh, you gave me the latitude to develop my character. For me, my director is Philip, and um, after uh, taking part in shows with Adrian, my musical director is Adrian. Right. Once you guys there, I am fine. Okay. You know, we have some things in our minds that we are thinking about. Don't don't stop, man. Keep it going. Yeah. I it's in our blood, and um, um it ends uh, when death takes us all. But until that that's time, um, that's we'll it. Yeah, you know. That's it. All right, well, Tex, thank you so much for doing this. And um, as I say, we hope to see you on stage soon. You've been listening to Kachika a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts, a production of Ringplay Productions. This has been a conversation with Tex Turnquist, Philip A. Burroughs, and Nicolette Bethel. <laughs>